Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postman. Hey, Perfect peeps. Welcome back again. Happy Thursday. Um, we have kind of an amazing guest on today. We were just chatting before uh, we got on about all the things that Tom has done in the past. So welcome, Tom, to the show. Do you mind giving us a, a little tidbit about your past and kind of how you got into the development and started on your journey? Thanks. And I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. So the thing that most people probably know me for is the co-creator, co-founder, and former CEO of GitHub. That's kind of the the first big startup that I created on my own. I'm kind of an entrepreneur now and I've done a variety of things since then. Um, before that, I actually created a thing called Gravatar, which you may also know. I think I that might have is, a picture on there somewhere. You, most people do. It's owned <laughs> by WordPress now. So I sold that to, to Automatic, the owners of WordPress, mm -hmm. a number of years ago, even before GitHub. But I've always been trying to create things that other people will enjoy and that can make an impact. I wanted to... I really wanted to impact the blogosphere. And I was like trying to think of ideas to do that. That's where Gravatar came from. So that kind of really whetted my appetite for entrepreneurship and product development. So then I eventually made it up to San Francisco, uh, worked for a startup there, but then created GitHub on the side. That was a side project um, that eventually then I went full time on and that grew to become the GitHub that you know today. And so that's the GitHub years since then, well, and during during that period, I created things like Jekyll, the static site generator, um, and semantic versioning I created during uh, my GitHub years. Since then, I've also worked on Toml, the configuration language that languages like Rust and, and other projects use that came out of, uh, I was drunk one night, and I have always been complaining about configuration languages and especially yaml and i sat down and i wrote the initial toml spec which you can go if you go in the history of the toml language specification to the very first commit you'll see that it's um different than it is today so, so it, what is it it's, well it's, I, I just it's just a rant it's basically just a rant of like what you know what if we did you know i mean it was this, it was the specification i mean it is substantially similar to the current day specification of toml but it's written in a very cheeky way doesn't it stand for tom's old markup language or tom's well originally it was tom's own markup language to make fun mark of, like all these other things that are called something something you know whatever yet another markup language which is like the worst name ever <laughs> it, it was it was done in jest um, it's so great so but, but it, it became a it became a thing anyway now it stands for tom's um obvious minimal language because that's less Dumb <laughs> in markup language, and it's not really a markup language. So whatever, right? So it, it became it became more serious, as many projects do, right? Like side projects become serious projects, become companies, become like billion dollar companies. Like this is the this is the way. And the funny thing is, I think it's really hard to set out to create like a giant successful company. I think you almost have to start out with just like a dumb idea, with something that you're trying. And then you and then you just run it against the world and see if it works. And if it works, you're like, aha, like this can go somewhere. But to start out and be like, all right, what's the idea I'm going to have that is going to be like this idea that's going to be super successful? Like it almost never works. Like you, you almost can't try that hard. You have to try with experiments, with things that are just yeah. interesting it's just and, like and go from there. Throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. I mean, so I think the more chances that you have, the more times you try 
the more likely a success will be. And my favorite quote of all time is from Linus Pauling, the, the famous chemist, who said, the best way to have a good idea is to have a lot of ideas. <laughs> I sure? thought you were going to say a lot of bad ideas. Well, also, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's implied, but yes. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, you're going to have you know, a lot of ideas in order to have a good yes. idea, you have to have a lot of probably bad ideas. And I, you know, these, the things I've listed are the things that, that worked, that were successful mm -hmm. to some degree. There's many other things that I've done that didn't go anywhere. Right. So you have to, you just have to keep trying. And the latest of those is Redwood JS, which I think we'll talk about today. <laughs> yes. Did So did most of those, like, especially like GitHub, let's say, did it come out of a need or did it come just purely like an idea? We, we were using Git over here and I have no place to keep it. And that's what led to it. What? Yeah, mostly. I was at a company, a startup in San Francisco called PowerSet, which was like a search engine. It was supposed to be like a semantic search engine where you could write more English language queries. It got acquired by Microsoft funnily enough, um, eventually Seems like a trend. and rolled into, rolled into Bing. Um, that was not my company. That was, I just worked for that as the, I think I was the 30th employee or something. So, so fairly early, but not early enough to enjoy a, a ton of upside off of the, <laughs> off of that sale. But that was a good lesson, right? Which is if you like joining a startup, even as the, you know, 10th, 20th, 30th employee, like you're in a sale, like you're not going to make like life-changing money usually unless it's, you know, unless the sale is for like tens of billions of dollars or something. Right. Yeah. So um, this was a hundred million dollar sale. So I learned interesting lessons there, which is like, if you really want that kind of success, you have to be the founder. So that was another thing that was kind of pushing me to be like, just, you know, try to create a company, try to be the founder. So GitHub came from internally to PowerSet. Um, I was working with a colleague, Dave Farum on er, an Erlang project, because Erlang is amazing. <laughs> and we were off in our, on our own, kind of creating this experimental thing. And so Dave actually introduced me to Git. And he was like, let's try this thing out. Like, check this thing out. This is really cool. Like, the branching is way better than Subversion, which is what we and most other people were using at the time. So we started using it internally. And then you could, all, you could work in Git and then just kind of push to Subversion when you needed to. So we used it kind of transparently. But I thought it was like the coolest thing. I thought it was so fast and amazing. And, but it was a huge pain in the ass to set up. Like you had to create a, an account on a Linux server somewhere okay. and have user accounts. And that was like the way that you were going to share your repositories. Like it just was totally untenable. And like there was no good online kind of thing to, to, to manage it. And I was like, well, I know how to do that. I know how to make web apps. Um, and so the idea was to just make it easier to share Git repositories because it seemed to me like that it was obvious that Git was so superior to Subversion that it was like yeah. it would be successful eventually, and you know maybe we could help it be more successful. Subversion always used to give me headaches. It was such a pain. I think Brittany, you were able to skip that, right? Oh yeah, I did. I'm I'm a very new developer for from this crew we have here <laughs> yeah you are you are lucky to not have had to deal with subversion <laughs> to not have I had to, to deal with the headaches i used to deal with with cvs i mean talk yeah, about <laughs> talk about pain sap transports were yeah. in my uh, past as well so. but i feel like that whole thing spurred the open source like community so that was like an incredible thing that you just wanted to be able to share repositories but it like created this whole world of open source that we have now 
it's really yeah it, it, yeah so thank we were definitely didn't i mean a lot of these things came out of it i think organically like we did not set out to revolutionize like open source development it was you know from the very beginning it was always going to be free to use for open source like this was the thing that was important it, that it, it was that GitHub had a business model because Gravatar did not have a business model and it just took, it cost me a bunch of money to run and it was really stressful. And the server was always crashing and people were sending me like angry emails about that. And I was like, that's not what I want in life, right? If I'm going to do another side project, which of course I was, because I'm always doing the side project, then it has to have a business model. And so this idea for GitHub had a very natural business model, which could be make it free for open source to, to use as an, as the marketing kind of side of it and then we could charge for people that wanted their code to be private right like it just seemed like a very obvious and natural model and i think in in doing that it really allowed open source to flourish in in that it enabled people to collaborate in this way that was so much easier mm -hmm. and we and we were really bucking the trend of things like Google code and mm -hmm. SourceForge, especially where you had to be like SourceForge was the, was the worst because they would be like, Oh, you want to put a project on SourceForge, fill out this form yeah. and tell me what the name of your project is and why it's awesome. And maybe we'll let you do it. Right. It was always the amazing oh. part. It was like, geez, oh Pete, seriously. That's insane. Right. And Google yeah. code was, was better, but they enforced things like licenses mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it was, uh, I think it was still a single namespace. So you still had competition over namespace. I think one of the, one of the most critical decisions that we ever made for GitHub was to have the, your username be the initial namespace. And then the project came after, and that allowed everyone to put up anything that they wanted. That was the, that was the crux of GitHub's overall success was that finally you could be like, I could just put anything, any little, any little dumb toy project or uh, just a single config file or my dot files or whatever, any, anything that you wanted, you could put up on GitHub and we didn't care. Nice. You could have no license. You could have any license you like. It didn't matter. Anything. Just put it on GitHub. It's fine. And easily fork other people's projects. Right. Yeah. And let people fork them and experiment and then submit, you know, pull requests eventually became very yeah. sophisticated. And so that, so everything sort of built on, on top of what came before. So I think I think that allowed you kind of to grow into like CEO role and then kind of move past that once the sale occurred and things like that. And you started Preston Warner Ventures soon after or when did that come into play? Yeah, so Preston Warner Ventures is a kind of an interesting entity in that it really is an umbrella over two totally separate things. One of them is the angel investing that I do primarily in in technology companies and developer tools especially. But now more and more and more climate technology and climate software companies. Um, and that's because of the work that we do on the other side, which is more the nonprofit foundation side. So my wife and I have a family foundation that it's just like a, this mess of this tree of like entities. You don't even want to know, but there's yeah, a, there's a family foundation. The, uh, I'm going to bring um, up the, uh, the blog or the post out here. Yeah, great. So here, right. So this is Preston Warren Adventures from an overall perspective, which is a little hard to explain because we're doing like this nonprofit and this for-profit investing. We do nonprofit grant making around climate. We do for-profit investing around developer tools. Like, like, how do you mush those two things together? Anyway, it's a little bit weird, but we, we wanted something that was kind of the umbrella. Maybe we'll separate them at some point to make it less confusing. Um, but my wife is primary on the, the grant making, the nonprofit side. She comes from an anthropology background. And together we decided like climate is really what we want to focus 
our attention on and the money that we're that we put towards philanthropy. Um, and so, so you can kind of see the things down at the bottom, right? There's ventures, which is angel investing. There's the foundation, which is grant making. There's initiatives, which is political action, essentially. Um, so we do all of these things. And so, but the focus on the nonprofit side, on the foundation side is climate, is things around climate. We're very excited for the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act that puts finally in place billions and billions of dollars for climate change. So we're really excited that we were able to make that happen. And maybe we won't be such an embarrassment to the rest of the world. Now it's a, it's a step in the right direction. So this is, this is kind of, it's a lot of different things that Preston Warner Ventures encompasses. I don't keep up with politics very much, but I hear there was a big bill that just got passed. So that's yep. it, called, it was called the Inflation Reduction Act, though one of its most primary things that it does is uh, create a lot of tax credits for encouraging people to buy things like electric cars, put mm -hmm. solar panels in place, and encourages the corporate sector to be building more of these things and to be able to to offer them to the public at a much reduced price to, to encourage their adoption, things like heat pumps and, and other things. So this all kind of leads towards, uh, we've, we've kind of been getting to the Redwood JS side, like how did that come out of all of this? And, you know, where did it appear in your life and get going from? Yeah, Redwood JS is another one of those side projects, really. It's a, an idea I had rolling around my head for probably several years before we really were able to act on it. But it really came out of my involvement in Netlify. So I'm a, I invested, I've been investing in Netlify since their seed round. You know, I knew Matt and Chris from the earliest days and we'd hang out in the dog patch in San Francisco and drink beer and talk about Jamstack. And we'd talk about like, should they, should they, should they really try to make Jamstack a thing and use that name? And was that name appropriate? And I was like, just go for it. Like, you're never going to know until you try. Right. And so they Is really went for it. And, isn't it? Right. And it totally worked. Right. But so, um, so I, I love, I love Netlify. I'm on the board of Netlify now. And, um, so the idea for Redwood came from the desire to leverage Netlify as much as possible in creating a full stack web application. So Netlify had already the static site delivery, like a CDN and static site delivery, like we know from like the Jekyll sort of mm -hmm. genre of static site generators. And then they shipped uh, an, a really easy way to create AWS Lambda functions by just having a piece of code in your GitHub repository in a certain place. And that was amazing because the normal way to create an AWS Lambda is just completely obtuse and insane, right? <laughs> it's like you zip up files and you're like, the whole thing is madness, yeah. right? So I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like the super easy way to create Lambda functions and deliver static files. If you created a, Ra a React-based front end and you stuffed all your business logic into an AWS Lambda or many AWS Lambdas, then as long as you had a database somewhere, and that was kind of the unsolved part, the, the most complica complicated part, then you could create a full stack, like a SaaS application and, and deliver it on Netlify, which would be super cool, right? It's like, would represent this expansion of what, what the Jamstack mentality and architecture made possible. And I was like, how would that work? I don't know. So I was like talking to people and trying to convince people that I wasn't crazy, that this was a possibility uh, for probably several years. And then eventually um, in the work that I did at a previous company uh, startup called Chatterbug, which is a language learning startup chatterbug.com you can check that out 
Um, I met someone there named Peter Pistorius, and he's uh, he was much better at JavaScript and TypeScript than I am, or probably ever will be. And I and he was he was the first person that was like interesting. I see what you're going for. So he was the finally the person that I could that I talked to this about that, that like saw the potential. And then he and I started hacking on it together, and we were like trying to figure out what it what it even meant, how like how would that work, and prototyping it, and got it to a point where it was like, oh wow, like this actually is doable. Like we got a prototype going in it, and it worked. And then it was like, oh, okay, now that we have something that works, now we can make it better, right? And so started really designing the API and how it would feel to an end user. You know what what does routing look like? Because I didn't love the way that React Router works so the nested kind of nature of react you know and, and i get that some people don't like that but i come from a ruby on rails background and i was like right. i don't know a single file that is all your routes like that to me is amazing like that's what, what i wanted so i wrote the routing system for redwood which is which is the way it is because of me for better or worse <laughs> and and then we just kind of kept going from there and and then contributors came on board we, we did the o the vo1 launch two and a half years ago now and and then just you know people come out of the woodwork and start to want to collaborate and so now we have a team of people that are that are essentially full time on Redwood that I that I pay for so I when we launched the 1.0 I I pledged that I would put 1 million dollars this year into funding the development of Redwood itself this is different from the 1 million dollars that I'm doing as part of the Redwood startup fund which we can also talk about to fund actual startups that are based on Redwood. So I'm, I'm funding a set of people to work full-time on Redwood. And that, that team of people is about seven or eight people. Um, and, and so, so we've been cranking and we're putting in new features. We're already on Redwood 2.0, actually 2 point something um, because we believe in semantic versioning, which because I, I <laughs> wrote semantic versioning and I feel like I should probably adhere to the standards of semantic versioning, which means that if we make a breaking change, we ship a major version, no question. Like there is no circumstance in which we will not do that. And so we're going to advance major versions more rapidly than probably most projects. I feel like there was maybe a lot there. And I just want to kind of break down what Redwood is. So you said React is the UI, the front end layer, and you statically generate that. Is, is, yes, is that right. what? So okay. Right. I mean, it's a React front end, which is at the end of the day, a bunch of code that can be statically delivered via CDN. So yes. Okay. Yep. So you're static, statically generating and then using serverless functions to call your backend and that can Not necessarily. Be... Now, okay. So I should say we started with the idea that you would deploy on Lambda functions. That's how it started. What it has become now is a really flexible architecture where you can deploy serverless or serverful. It's up to you. You can oh, do, okay. you can do either or both. Um, and so that, that comes out of the architecture in that it is serverless makes it very easy for it to become serverful as well. And in a lot of cases we have most startups that use Redwood, I would say probably use a serverful environment now for performance reasons. It turns out that trying to stuff an entire backend into a single Lambda, which is how Redwood is architected is not as feasible as I had hoped it would be by now. I'd sort of imagine that AWS would, I don't know, continue <laughs> developing and improving Lambda, but it turns out, no, they just don't, they just have done nothing. They're making money. It's fine. And so, <laughs> so, Lots so they money. don't, which is fine. Like it serves a certain use case and it serves that use case. Well, I thought that they would have 
taking it in a direction where it became more featured, where you could put more code on it, code starts would be smaller, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It turns out, no, they didn't really do that. And so our, so we, we have pivoted a little bit to really make the server full deployment first class. Is there an edge story with Nedwood, with Redwood? So could you use edge functions? Um, we are still experimenting with exactly how that works and exactly how you would use that with Redwood. We've been so focused on kind of the four, the core functionality to, mm-hmm. in getting 1.0 out that we haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time focusing on the edge function side of it like these all end up being optimizations and so we're we're now kind of entering the phase where we're thinking about optimizations for scale so that's things like caching um pre-render like how pre-rendering works pre-rendering with a dynamic set of routes these are all things um, ssr functionality which we currently do not have which is which is something that differentiates redwood from probably most of the other things that are due like remix is kind of ssr first like mm-hmm. they, they, and, and next is SSR first. Redwood really is client rendering first, which, it, which, I mean, it's very nice to be able to do that in a first class way. Um, we're working now on the ability to offer SSR as well for those use cases where you really want that. So, you know, that Redwood is still young. It's a couple of years old, but in the, in a framework, in a full stack <laughs> web application framework space and what is expected of a framework these days, like two years is two and a half years is like nothing. So yeah. we've got we've got a ways to go. But yeah, if you want to go back to that um, set of technologies, yeah, that's absolutely. a good way to yeah, to explain cool. further what Redwood is. And I should probably go back and, and classify what Redwood JS is in general, which is we call it the app framework for startups. And what that means is it's a full stack web application framework, open source, MIT licensed, completely free to use that we have tried to optimize for use in a rapidly growing startup environment. And what that means is we think a lot about long-term maintainability and how your startup and how you use the technology is going to change over time, which makes Redwood a bit more complicated upfront than things like Next or Remix. But it means that you're not painting yourself into a corner and that we're giving you a very nice golden path to where you might have multiple front-end clients, for instance. Like most startups are going to eventually have a web application and they're going to have a mobile application, might have a desktop application or a command line interface or an application that you install on your Tesla or a kiosk at a mall or on and on and on. There's so many different kinds of clients today that we give you the building blocks that are going to make that really easy to transition to as you grow, specifically GraphQL. And this is the reason that we use GraphQL as the protocol between the React front end and the JavaScript or TypeScript based backend is because GraphQL is going to be a common way that your front ends can talk to your backend so that you only have to build your backend once. Because the number of times that I've built a web app in Rails or something and then later on, been like, oh, yeah, well, I guess it's time to work on the mobile application. So I guess we have to now create another version of the back end <laughs> to service the mobile application. And it's a nightmare, and I never want to do that ever again in my entire life because it's, it's horrible. But if you use GraphQL and you follow some of the principles that Redwood lays out for you, you're building up this very sophisticated back end that can now work for any kind of a client. 
And that is really powerful for startup companies being able to leverage that across their different applications or what have you. I I read a little bit here about why React was chosen. And I just, I wanted to ask you too, like, is, is there any chance of adding in other languages in the future or is it just React was the most popular? That's what you see as startups using. And that was the decision that was made. Absolutely. It is possible that we could add additional front end. We call them sides. So you have a front end side or website. You have a API side that is the GraphQL API backend. There's no reason that the web front end has to be React based. We chose React because it's clearly the most popular today. And so we thought we would start there. But there's no reason that you couldn't create a view side, a view front end side, web side, or a Svelte side. And these are things that we're sort of toying with, experimenting with, but they're entirely possible to do. And there's a bunch of other really interesting front end frameworks that are coming out, things like SolidJS. Um, things like Quick that have other characteristics that React, things that React does badly, these other frameworks do really well. So depending on what your problem is and what you're trying to solve for, these other technologies might be better. And so we, so that's has always been envisioned as part of Redwood's future is that there will be multiple front-end sides. Right now, it's just a React-based web side, mm-hmm. but we are thinking very seriously about adding a React native side for instance, to solve for the mobile use case, which would be amazing, right? Like those two together, a React web side and a React native mobile side, both connecting to a GraphQL backend. That's that's probably the next step that we'll take as far as official front end sides go. But like, you know, I mean, if anyone, if any listener is interested in exploring a view front end side for Redwood or a Svelte side. I would love to see experiments. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions in here. Um, Since we're talking about it, um, we have one. uh, Have you ever thought about using EdgeDB instead of Prisma, which I know Anthony kind of chimed in and is answering our questions pretty good. So hopefully you agree with this thought. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I think that's essentially true. EdgeDB is amazing. I have, I have actually invested in, both Prisma and EdgeDB and many other database companies. And because I think they're amazing. EdgeDB thinks about the world in a, in a very different way, in a way that is maybe closer to the way that we as programmers think about structuring our own code, um, right? So it's more of a graph. You think in more of a graph than you do with a, than a relational database. That said, Anthony's totally correct in saying that a lot of Redwood has grown up around Prisma and we love Prisma and while it's not impossible, like you could use any database you want with any database adapter that you want with, with Redwood, but it means that you're not going to get as much advantage out of things like the scaffold generators. <laughs> um, that's, that's probably, that's probably what you're going to um, Fauna, planet scale. I, I'm, I, I just, I love databases. Like there's, just, there's so much potential and there's so, th- and like there's so many ways that all of them can win. Like they're all different. They all serve different use cases. Really, your data, like you want to match your database with your data requirements. Um, so yes, Prisma Prisma for now. You can use anything. Like you could swap in any database you want and Redwood's not really going to care, but it's going to make your life a little harder when it comes to testing and other things because we have Prisma's like baked in so thoroughly. 
So to get a little bit more nerdy on the Redwood side, um, something that when I was reading through the docs, I, I've only just stood one up. That's as far as I've ever gotten with Redwood. Um, this thing called cells. Can you chat just a little bit uh, more about what cells are and how they kind of work? Yeah, well, cells are a declarative approach to data fetching. <laughs> so the documentation, the documentation is great. I encourage anyone that's interested in Redwood to go and first of all, do the tutorial. Yeah, because that's we have I'm... spent a tremendous amount of time and effort making the tutorial awesome. And one of our core team members and founders of Redwood, Rob Cameron, uh, is the one that wrote most of the tutorial, almost all of the tutorial, and has recorded really amazing video versions of the tutorial. In case you don't want to actually do it, you can watch Rob do it. <laughs> uh, and he's great and, and really good at this. So cells are our solution to data fetching. So we wanted to make data fetching as easy as possible. And so what we noticed in creating React-based applications was a pattern that you do over and over, which is you do some data fetching with a GraphQL call. You get the response or you get an error, but you might have different states where your result set is empty or not. Um, and you, you write this giant conditional in React in JSX and it's, and it's horrible. It's not pretty to look at. It makes it really easy to look at the different states in isolation. And it's just no fun. So we came up with this pattern, which is called a cell, which is essentially just taking each of those states, a success state, a failure state, an empty state, um, a few others, and allowing you to just export them out of a file that has a certain name. It ends with cell. So the React component file ends with cell. And you just export these different things. Some of them are functions like after query. Some of them are um, React components like loading, empty, failure, success. So you just export these out of your file. And then we handle orchestrating the logic for you. right? And one of the biggest advantages of this is that you can now look at each of these components in isolation in Storybook. So we also bake in Storybook, which I know there's there's controversy. Some people are like, "Yo, you never need nobody needs storybook unless you're a million person company," which I completely disagree with, and I will always use that voice to make fun of of that viewpoint. (laughs) Um, But so, storybook to me is amazing for developing your components to begin with, like to be able Mm -hmm. to to develop your components in isolation in an environment that is not embedded. God knows how many pages deep in your application for doing that initial development and being able to see all of the different states that your component can be in. And of course, this is, you can't only do that. You need to also then see that this thing works within your application. But like the hassle of getting your database set up to get into the right state to see every single one of the states that your component might be in is such a nightmare. And one of the most beautiful things that React gives us is the ability to look at a component in isolation. And with Redwood, we've made this as easy as possible. So if you put a cell and look at it in Storybook, you just see all those different states. You're like, I want to see the success state or the failure state or the loading state because I want to look at my spinner for more than you know, a, you know, a 10 milliseconds at a time. Or, yeah. oh, I'm going to change it to slow 3G and then I get it for you know, a half a second. And I'm just going to keep refreshing and looking at so my spinner. You can use component-driven development and be able to use these like helpers, essentially, not just helper functions, but helper components and things to see your states and develop. Like, I can't imagine styling like a loading spinner, like you said, without being able to see it. So yeah, it's, it's super annoying. So much easy. 
It's super annoying, right? So Redwood is trying to to really it's you know it's a thousand of these things. It's like a thousand paper cuts that you receive when you're building a React based application with with a GraphQL backend. Like if you're into that, if if you're like oh a React based front end with a GraphQL based API backend, so that I can have like other you know other front ends connect to it. Like that sounds appealing to me. If that's you, and that's not everybody, and that's fine, right? Like there's so many options out there, which is amazing. If that sounds appealing to you, like Redwood is like totally your jam because it's, it's going to do all of the things that you're going to have to do yourself eventually. We've done our, we've already done them for you. And let me tell you how many hours we've spent on Webpack config and Babel <laughs> config is just, it's, it's unconscionable how much time it takes to get that stuff really right. And to get things like just integrated in a way that you can test your, um, your data fetching, you know, so we, so we provide a lot of mocking, um, mm -hmm. helpers so that when you're testing a cell, for instance, you're like, well, how do I test a, how do I test my cell? Because it needs to fetch data. Where's it getting the data from? Guess what? Redwood provides you mocking to make that super easy. Or you're in storybook and you're like, well, one of the reasons the storybook is really annoying is because if my component does any kind of fetching, then like, how am I going to look at that in storybook? It's just going to break. Not in Redwood, because guess what? We've created an entire utility to help you mock out the data calls in storybook so that when you then load a storybook of a cell, all you do is define, and you could be one or multiple different kinds of uh, data returns. And it'll just be like, oh, I know how to render that, right? So you're just mocking out the data call and now it'll give it to you. And even if you use a cell in a page, so let's say you wanna look at your whole page in storybook, your whole page component, which has a cell or several cells in it. How do you tell that cell where, like which of the, you know, fixtures to get the data from? Well, it just uses one called standard. So you, you define one fixture essentially or a mock called standard and the storybook will just be like, I'm going to use that one. So you always have something that looks reasonable, that works, that isn't just throwing errors in your storybooks, right? So these are all of the, like the layers of things that we've tackled in Redwood JS. They're going to make your life as a web application developer using these technologies really, really smooth. I think one of the things I appreciate a lot, and we have some other Angular folks in, in the chat here, all the command line tools that you guys have built around it, just like that cell mm -hmm. example, it's like a simple command, but it built out so much under the hood. It's just unbelievable. Save cell so lines are time. so powerful. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, right. So, I mean, this comes from our, our Rails like a lot of things are inspired by Rails. I would say that we haven't, we don't copy things from Rails. Like we think about the problems that need to be solved. We think about the ways that we liked solving problems in Rails. And then we think about how those might be translated into a JavaScript TypeScript kind of universe with this, with all these completely different technologies, but like a powerful command line, things like scaffolding can be really handy for like rapid prototyping, like just getting something up, being able to manip manip manipulate your data. You're probably not building your entire app with scaffolds, that would be rare, just like you don't in Ruby on Rails. But the ability to then generate, like, let's say you want to create a new SDL, like just getting that done via the CLI and having all the boilerplate done for you, like that is that is definitely a long-term common use case for the CLI, as well as things like installing authentication or integrating with deployment providers, those things you do via the command line and are, are just, I, I love the way that, that those work right now. Yeah, it makes it super easy. So um, there's authentication integrations. Is that what you were just hinting at there? 
Yeah. So let's say you want to use a third-party authentication like Auth0, Clerk, Superbase, um, any of the ones that you see here on the in the documentation. There's a single command that you run on the command line, and it will install all the necessary files in the right places and update your Redwood application to be fully integrated uh, with this authentication provider. And then you use a common abstracted interface to that. You can still get at the underlying client if you want, but we've made it really easy to get access to the main parts that are common across all the authentication providers, things like log in, log out, mm -hmm. is authenticated. Those things come through the common Redwood interface and make it really easy to then get the authentication working on your website. And so these are the third-party ones. But we also offer something called DB auth, which is if you want to implement your own authentication and store your own your credentials in your own database, you can use DB auth. Um, and that it, that allows you to own your authentication. Uh, the authentication is implemented. So it does all the logging in and logging out and forgot password and all of that stuff. Um, but it just stores the credentials in your own database if that's what you're into. So you can do you can do either one. Nice. We have to get app right in there. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things that from everyone that I hear that has worked on Redwood, um, I heard you talk on a podcast, I want to say two or three years ago. Um, it was right when Redwood was kind of starting. There was a lot of uh, get-togethers, I think. It's the contributing and the community around Redwood was that a focus early on that that you needed to drive that home so that Redwood would be popular, as popular as it is now? It, absolutely, it's been forefront on my mind since the beginning. I think there's no way to build a successful framework, like something something that's this big, right? Like a web application framework. It's just a monumental task to do. And I applaud anyone who tries because it is... <laughs> It is an incredibly daunting task to try to do this, to try to create a full stack web application framework today, given the sophistication of the existing offerings. It's something that I that I've always wanted to do because I haven't done it yet. I've created lots of things, but I've never done like a web application framework um, for real. Actually, Rob and I, many years ago, I've known Rob, Rob Cameron, uh, co-founder of Redwood for like 20 years. One of the one of the early things that we did was actually create a web framework that was sort of modeled in a Railsy way. After um, it was called it was called Cold Fusion on Wheels. It was written in it was written for Cold Fusion. If any of you all remember Cold Fusion, it was called Cold Fusion on Wheels because we thought that was hilarious, <laughs> and it still exists. You can Google CF Wheels. Oh, someone someone got it for us, and it still it still exists. It's still it's still a thing. <laughs> and Rob and I invented this because we were just like hacking Cold Fusion and being like, "What is it possible to make Cold Fusion do this Railsy thing?" And I remember just standing behind him, and he was like writing Cold Fusion, and we were just having a great time. So this is actually the second framework that I've worked it's exciting. on. Exciting. I barely, I barely worked on, on that, but we had a cool uh, package. We built a package manager called Hadron, I think. I'm, I'm into physics, so I like physics. <laughs> anyway, it was called Hadron. It was awesome. This stuff was, it's, it like, it's like the pure joy of hacking on like random things for like no reason. 
is, is where the best is. part is you nice. figured out how to get paid through all this. That's, yeah. that's the I know part. it's beautiful. People will pay me to write, to write code. It's, it's great. So, so as, as far it? as the community piece goes, I know you guys have a great oh, right. discord server. Um, right. So we have discord, we have discourse. So we've all, we, so we, we've been thinking about community heavily from the very beginning and another co-founder of Redwood, David Price is the the master of the community like he's so good at bringing people together reaching out to people keeping the core team happy and together bringing in new voices from the community that show up in pull requests so this has been a, a really important thing for me from the beginning is is if redwood is going to be successful then we need to help and this is what david always says to make redwood successful we need to help people be successful with redwood so a lot of it is is that is helping people become contributors so david does contributing workshops frequently every couple of weeks and invite anyone who's like oh i i might it might be cool to be a redwood contributor like it's hard to become a contributor to a big software project like that's that's super daunting but david takes the time to give classes essentially on like here's redwood and here's how one contributes to it and it like and here's an example of if i have this change i want to make like how would i get that set up and and go do it and it's just it's amazing so we spend a lot of time talking to the community thinking about how to help the community be successful documentation um bringing bringing people in really valuing things like issues like you can get into some projects that that get kind of pathological where People are like abusive to people that send in issues or the like, they like dislike when people send like file issues for your project. And that's always seemed silly to me. It's like, yeah, I want to know everything that's wrong with my project, like send this stuff in and, and I want to make it as easy for you as possible. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to have as few requirements, you know, some people have templates that, you, you know, it takes you like a week of your life to try to like <laughs> satisfy the requirements to submit your, your pull request. And I get why people do that. And we do have, I think, a template now where there is, because as your project gets more popular, like it gets noisier and like it's harder to reproduce things. I get where that comes from. I always like to to err on the side of making it easy for people to participate or easy for them to to like submit their their issues because they're they're trying to help, right? Like a person who files an issue is trying to be helpful. There's no other reason that you would do that. You could easily just use something else or go somewhere else or never tell anyone what the problem is. We love knowing what the problems with Redwood are. So I don't know. I just, I love valuing community. This is something that was big for me at GitHub as well. Trying to create super fans was a primary objective that we had. It was like, how can we go further? How can we do better? How can we make things more interesting and joyful than a normal company would, right? You expect a normal big company to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. And you get used to that. And then a company goes further or does something that's like interesting and joyful. And it's, it really sets you apart. So this is something that I love about Redwood. Our community, I think is amazing. We've had to deal very little with abusive behaviors at all, like almost none. And I think it's because we are so proactive about how we talk and how we treat each other. And we just are the model that we want to see others come in and be. And I think that's really powerful. That's really cool. I know it's, it's super hard to like figure out like 
the first issue for someone and like label that that way. And it's amazing to hear someone taking the time to actually coach people through that. That's something that we'll have to, I'll have to take back as notes um, to apparate and like really sit down and maybe we dedicate some time every week to do that. That's a really great idea. Love it. Um, we could probably talk about Redwood for the next week. Am I missing anything high level? I know there's a lot of super fans out here as well. If you guys have questions, um, is there anything that we're, we're super missing? Did I miss something in our, our questions? I'll say one thing about the, so we talked about pressing word adventures, but we have not talked yet about the Redwood startup fund which is, yep. so as part of Press and Warner Ventures, I do a lot of angel investing. And I was trying to think of a way to bring some of these things together. Cause it's like, I'm doing this web application framework. I'm investing, you know, we're doing grant making in climate software or sorry, in climate technology, climate stuff in general, not, not technology software, just climate organizations like grassroots efforts and, and things, political work. And I'm also investing in, in like developer tools and stuff. Like, how do I bring all these things together? And I was thinking if I created a fund that was specific to funding startups that were using Redwood and I prioritized those that are building climate based or climate things that are adjacent to climate, trying to help mitigate climate change, then I could wrap them all up together into one like tidy little ball and, and so that has become the redwood startup fund so you can go to redwoodstartupfund.com which we just launched today we announced it back in april but finally have the application out it is up if you go to that bottom of that page you'll see the application you just copy that fill in your answers if you are using redwood as a primary component of your stack then you qualify and if you are working on something related to climate then we will prioritize you if you are, uh, I'm really trying to increase the diversity of the founders that we see in the startups represented that are using Redwood. And so we would also like to prioritize founder, a, a more diverse set of founders. And so if you feel like that's you, then we will also prioritize investment in your company. I really would love to make it possible for some people to consider building something because the Redwood Startup Fund is available. That would make me really happy. If I can deploy some capital in places that it would not normally be deployed, I'm very happy to take that very risky endeavor through Redwood. It's just, it's something that that I can do. I would love to see a broader set of demographics in the Redwood community. And, and these are the steps that we're taking through that. So that's the Redwood Startup Fund. Go check that out. I just think it's incredible that your journey has brought you to a place that you can now give back to like you. You did so much in the community that you're now able to just give back to other people doing that. So bravo. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's my pleasure, really. Like I, I invest in startups because I love the early stage experience. I love people who are trying something new, like inventing something from nothing is so hard for those brave enough to do it. Like I really want to be there to help. And mm -hmm. so I, I do, I generally do small checks in a large number of companies because I just, I love being in that early stage journey. And I don't know, I just, I love, I love building. I love making, I love learning. I love helping people succeed in their journeys to do those things. Awesome. You're muted. <laughs> I am always muted, I feel like. <laughs> 
with that said, um, probably a good segue to go over to our perfect picks, as we call them. I don't know what we're going to call those in the future. Maybe they'll stick around. We'll see. <laughs> but um, Tom was kind enough to give us our first perfect pick. Tom, do you want to talk about The Wind Rises? Yeah. So I am working my way through all of the Miyazaki films, and they're amazing, right? Like Spirited Away, I think, is one of the the like the greatest films of all time it's just it's incredible everything about it is incredible i love the the way that miyazaki celebrates like quiet moments doesn't rush things the attention to detail and the in the hand drawn animations it's just incredible it's something that, and we don't see it anymore right like this is a this is gone now from like the world like this just does not exist anymore and maybe will never exist again so i'm going through a bunch of the, some of the less popular miyazaki stuff and there's one called The Wind Rises, which is a really kind of an odd film. It's about a an aeronautics, an, an aviation engineer in Japan around the time of World War II. Um, and it, it sort of so it sort of follows this this character who's a real person who created the Zero fighter that that fought in World War II. And he, you know, it's kind of starts with him as a boy and he just wants to, to build airplanes. The only way that he gets to build airplanes is by building airplanes for the war, even though that's not what he wants to do. He wants to just build aircraft for the pure engineering bliss of like of that act of creation. And so it really spoke to me, this idea that of, of a someone who just wants to build like a pure, like someone who loves engineering, the idea of creation but has to struggle in, in the path to do that. And then the, the sort of the moral and ethical dilemmas of doing that. And that this, this is made by a, you know, a Japanese artist director, like brings such an interesting history into it. And it's just so well done. I, and the, the aircraft, the sounds of the aircraft are all done by human voice. So the airplanes all sound like, <laughs> like that's what the aircraft sound like. And it's just amazing. I don't know. It, it makes no sense. It's hilarious. It's like, it's it works. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, and it's just, I don't know. It's just a, it's totally unexpected. It's that's just cool. a completely different thing Good than pick. I would imagine could exist in the world. So it's, it, I love it. It's really great change of pace for sure. Yeah. Brittany's gonna jump into like something. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> totally off the wall. We watched this, I think, about a week or two ago. I don't know, and we burned through shows like crazy. But this was pretty good. I I feel like the writing towards the end got a little off, but the scenes in this are just incredible. It's visually stunning, and it's just I I don't know. It's about like kind of mythological creatures. The Sandman is kind of like the dream world and goes into people's dreams and it, it's really interesting but i agree it felt like there was two different movies like they wrote a six-part yeah. series <laughs> and then they realized they could have more it, it was yes. totally weird <laughs> um tvma folks i always forget i don't tom do you know what yours was i always try which one i don't, I don't know the rating it's what the rating is Oh, uh, it's probably it's fairly kid friendly though. It's it may not appeal to you know like small children. That's that's good enough. Fairly kid friendly. We'll mark that. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brittany has a tweet for her second one. Tell yeah, my second one because there's no site or anywhere to go for it yet. 
except for maybe the Jamstack Discord. So if you're not in the Jamstack Discord, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. Um, but Demetrius is doing a series called Developer Downloads where he has someone on every day this week. And I don't know how long he's doing it for, but they're like 30 minute sit downs where we just chat and it's like a stage event. And it's really cool. Just trying to get engagement in the Discord and get people in there. And there was James Q. Quick on. I think Rizel is coming on soon. It's just an incredible list of people, and I wanted to shout it out to get more people in there. That's super fun. So do you go to the Discord for it? So, yeah, it's a stage event. So it's like a Twitter Not space, Twitter. but it's in Discord. So it's it's kind of a new thing. So, like, I don't know, stages. It's nice in Discord because you have that chat channel, like, adjacent yeah. to it, so you can chat. But can you Can you schedule, like, stages or, like, reserve them so it reminds you? Yeah. Um, so in the events at the top of the Discord server uh, yes. list, you can um, set a reminder for events. Nice. I always forget that's up there. I always just bypass that. Nice. <laughs> um, my first one is JavaScript DOM ma manipulation. Say that five times fast. <laughs> um, the, the reason I picked this was it, it gets back to the basics, right? So I'm always preaching, use the framework, get back to the basics. You don't need like a use large, the framework or use the platform. Use, use the platform. <laughs> oh, if if y'all can't tell, my COVID brain is fully on. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, use the platform. You don't have to always use frameworks and jump into that right away. So this is just a really good breakdown of all the different um, DOM manipulation pieces you can do in JavaScript. Um, it's just really good for beginners. So definitely go check that out. It's something I sent to my son, which I'm sure he'll ignore once again. <laughs> uh, second one, this is coming up. This says 2021, but Hacktoberfest 22, we were just talking um, with that app right and reminded me. Um, it's a cool event. I don't know if, that, did Redwood do anything with this in the past years? Yeah, we have done it twice now, and I expect that we'll probably do it again. And it's tricky because you really, it, it can be tricky to engage people in the right kind of way. So you don't just have like people right. that come and do their yes. random weird pull request and expect their shirt or whatever. So it's, it's something that we always have to navigate carefully. But yeah, we generally yeah. participate. Yeah, we had a really long discussion about that today. It was quite interesting kind of how they're trying to prevent a lot of that from occurring and, and things like that. So uh, it's great, though, what basically it's just helping people get into open source helping people close issues do a pr like really getting started for it and then also uh creating things too so it's fun on both sides of it yeah probably mm. about six weeks away right yeah -ish. starts the first of october yep cool well tom thanks so much really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. this was really great Absolutely. We'll have to have um, you on for, uh, you said you're in V2 already, right? It's already V2. We're going to ship yeah. a V3 here within a couple of weeks, probably. Nice. Wow. You guys Get are chugging sick. along. The, <laughs> I, I usually say for your next major release, but that's, that's going to be quick. <laughs> yeah. We, well, so we have, so we have what we call an epoch version, an epic version, um, which is, which is just a named thing. So we name them after, um, national, forests so this is so we're currently on arapaho and the next one will be that should have uh, been my first question is why okay. redwood js but okay so they're oh i live in northern california and okay. 
I love redwoods, so there you go. <laughs> that makes sense uh, now. Okay. <laughs> oh, I should have probably we we put it in there a bunch, um, but let me bring it up real quick. So this is this is the key to getting stickers. If you go to redwoodjs.com forward slash stickers, um, just put your details in. I sent one to my old address and it was on my old laptop. I'm gonna have to add another one. Is that allowed? Yeah, go for it. Cool. If you if you will legitimately put it on your laptop, we will send you stickers. Absolutely. What if I put it on my sticker board? That is also acceptable. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in all of our shows. That would be perfect. Yeah. As long as you put it somewhere. We get a lot of requests that I'm not sure are I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> it turns out when you offer stuff for free on the internet, like watch out, like things can happen. Yeah, those forms will get filled for no reason. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was incredible. Thanks, Tom. Thank really appreciate you. it. Take care. Thank you. Had a great, great. time. Later.